Well, this morning, uh, title of the message is Don't Mess With My Idols. Don't mess with my idols. And I think that as I was preparing for this, I was kind of gearing up a little bit spiritually and uh, this morning even praying about it because I don't, I don't ever want to teach something and not, not have it go through the filter in my own life and what the Lord shows me as well. So I'm just praying about it, thinking about it this morning. What are some of the idols that we face in life and some of the idols that we deal with? Because sometimes we have a way of thinking idolatry was something in the past where people made statues or maybe other cultures do that. But we don't do that because we're too sophisticated. Um, But we have idols today. We have idols that are in our hearts. Uh, When Paul is on this third missionary journey, He's going back through the churches to strengthen them. Um, he's, he's establishing some new churches. And another thing I thought it was important when we showed Theo's video is that he would go to some of these um, churches and gather money for the poor that were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem um, was a very, very poor church at the time. A lot of persecution arose. And so part of what he was doing as he was on this journey, he would write letters ahead and say, hey, when I get to you, for example, when I get to Corinth, Make sure that that gift is ready and that you've, you've saved up every week, put the, the first part of uh, your first fruits away so that when I come, I could receive that gift and then I could distribute it to um, the other churches and then also to support uh, his ministry as well. So in this third, minist- uh, this third missionary journey, it's a, a journey to establish. And one of the things that we're going to find today is when Paul gets to Ephesus, Um, here's a question that I have for you. What does God want from you? What does God want from you today? I mean, seems like it's a simple question, right? What does God want from you? But I, I would venture to say that many people have different ideas of what God wants. Oh, God wants me, uh, to be moral. I would say that. Yeah, he probably, but that's not like the main thing. That's, that's just a part of it. Uh, God wants me to have joy. Yeah, God wants, that's what he wants. But, but what is the root? What does God want from you? What does God want from us? This morning, as we consider um, the church of Ephesus, I think we're going to see some, some things that God says, this is, this is what I want from you. On this third missionary journey, this is the establishing of the church in Ephesus, the root level, the beginning. I want you to go back in your own life to the root level, the beginning of when God started to do a work in your heart where you realized that there really was a God that loved you. There really was a God that, that when you prayed, you know, sometimes, um, and, and I understand people that don't know the Lord, they're doing the best they can. But um, someone will say, hey, this is what I'm going through. And, and they'll say, well, we're sending thoughts your way. And that's helpful, you know, that's nice to have people thinking about me, but their thoughts for me are not going to change my situation. Prayer, when I start to realize that when I pray that there is a God on the other end of the prayer that hears what I have to say, that knows my heart. See, this is the church in Ephesus, this establishment of relationship between them and God. And so I wanna go back into the book of Revelation for a second, and then we're going to go into... Um, Acts, in Revelation chapter 2, this church plant in Ephesus, what were these first things? It says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, 
to the angel, which is also uh, another word for messenger. So this could be even to the pastor of the church of Ephesus or to the messenger of the church of Ephesus. Write this. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So he's revealing uh, part of who he is, his character, his qualities. And then in verse two, he says, I know your works and your labor. So this was a church, they, they probably had a lot going on, a lot of activity, a lot of ministry, doing a lot for the community, maybe doing a lot even to, to serve outside of uh, their gathering. And they worked hard, they labored. And he said, I know your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So they, they have correct doctrine. That means they have correct theology and belief about God. And they, they have the right knowledge of who God is. And then he says this, he says, um, and you have persevered. So they haven't given up. They just keep going. And he says, you have patience and you have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. So they, they're just those Christians that continue to serve and continue to help and continue to do things. But then notice in verse four, he says, but nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So unless you, you remember from where you have fallen and go back and do these things that you used to do, unless you return to that place of first love. So my question is, what were those things of first love that Jesus is calling them back to, they were an active church that had right theology, that was busy, that was doing a lot of stuff. But what was it that he had against them that they had left? What were some of those things? Well, this morning we get the opportunity to turn back into the book of Acts and realize these are some of the things they did at first. So turn with me back to the book of Acts chapter 19. Paul spent the most time of any other church uh, with the church in Ephesus. Uh, he spent over two years here. We know a lot, this was an incredible church. Do you know who their pastors were? They had Paul as their pastor. Guess who else? Timothy came along and, and we, Timothy became the pastor. You know who else? John was their pastor. This was a great happening church. But when you look at the scene of history, you realize that, some of the things that Jesus had warned them about leaving maybe were some of the things that they had left because you don't see the established church still today in the city of Ephesus. It's not a thriving community of believers today in Ephesus. So if we remember last week in Acts chapter 19, uh, remember we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were thirsty for the things of God. Um, they were open to the things of God. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember when Paul writes to the Ephesians later on, what does he say? He says, continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that there's an option for us. I'm not saying salvation. I'm saying that Spirit-filled life, I could be saved, but not be Spirit-filled because I am so full of self. 
See, to the degree that we empty self and we say, Lord, fill me with you, is the degree that we, as Christians, live this spirit-filled life. So that was one of their first works. It was one of the things that they did. When Paul prayed on them and he said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The next thing that we read about in chapter 19 of Acts, verse 18, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many of those who had practiced magic, they brought their books, they burned them in the sight of all, they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So there was confession and there was repentance. Um, they, they didn't hold on to sin. Sometimes when uh, you hear people say, well, every, this is something I know that maybe you've said, so I'm not throwing a guilt trip on you, but if you've said this, stop saying it. Uh, we all have our vices, so it's okay. All right, everyone has their vice, so it's okay. It's almost like we have these pet sins, and since we've repented of a bunch of other sins, you know, at least God's gonna be gracious with me to have a few of these sins. And, and that's, that's not what we're called to do. With confession and repentance, what they did is they burned their bridges. They, they didn't leave the door open for them to come back to practicing these things. Here's a book of witchcraft, a book of spells. Here's, here's some things. And they, they burned them. They got rid of them. In other words, saying, um, we never want to go back again. But what can happen is that if you've been a Christian for a number of years and you say, well, that was a long time ago. You know, that was when I was young and fanatical, kind of zealous. And now I'm kind of opening that door back up. And I'm not saying to be legalistic. I'm saying if God told you, hey, this is bad for you, then it's probably still bad for you, right? And when it comes to um, those areas, I think that sometimes backsliding happens when we just leave the back door open. We just leave the back door open. I have a good friend that when he, um, when he came back to Christ, he had backslidden and been in the world for a long time. He got rid of his cell phone. He crushed it. He, he was off of email, social media. He was off grid. This guy was unreachable. And he was unreachable because he needed time. He said, I just need time to be away from that stuff. And I know the people that I've been involved with and the people I run with. And he just moved away and he just was off grid because he needed to close those doors back to those things that were causing him to go back into his old lifestyle of of debauchery and and sin and let me tell you one more thing is that they they understood worship and the word um worthship that's what worship is it's what is something worth they they burn these things and it says here that that the sum total of these things was a bunch of money (laughs) it was a, a bunch of pieces of silver now uh when when you read in commentaries and you look at how much this this total this 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, the commentary that I read was written in the 1990s. And it, at that time, it said this is equivalent to about $4.5 million. So this is a bunch of, this is a whole city because Ephesus was a place of pagan worship like this. And there were a lot of these weird things that were happening with the occultic type of worship. And so this was a collective thing that as a city, they, they were giving up revenue. That's worth-ship. They're saying, God, you are more important to me than this thing that brings me money. And when we burn our ships, so to speak, when we decide, I'm gonna follow Christ no matter what, 
what we're doing is we're showing him that he's worth something to us. You know, how many of you, if you are married, would think, hey, you know what? Um, you know, my wife is faithful to me 90% of the time. It's great, you know, nine, nine out of 10 days she's faithful to me. You know, she really loves me. No, you would have a problem. You'd have a problem with 99%, wouldn't you? Like 99 days out of 100, she's faithful. Well, one day she's not, but you know, it's pretty good at it. You know, it's pretty good average. No, and we're the bride of Christ. So when it comes to idolatry, uh, worship, it's saying, God, I'm, I'm letting go of these things because you are more important. And it says in verse 20, the word of God grew and prevailed. So there was worship or worship and then they also were obedient to the word and growing in the word. It says that Paul met with them daily. Now we meet on Sundays. We meet on, on Wednesdays for the people that can make it out. Sometimes there's small groups that meet. They met daily. They devoured the word. They wanted to grow in these things. This was their first works. This is what they did initially. And maybe these are some of the things that you did initially when you came to, to the Lord. I remember when I first came to the Lord, like reading my Bible was just this, uh, I wanted to devour this thing. I was so, I would read verses that I had never seen before. And you know, there was no social media at the time. So I just went and told people, look what I just read. I just read this, check this out. And I would talk about it. I was so excited. And people that were Christians for longer than me, oh yeah, that's Philippians 4.13. You know, like, oh, I know that, you know. And, but for me, it was new. But I still want to have that kind of attitude when I open up God's word. I still want to wake up and say, God, I need, I need something today. I need you to, to teach me and help me to understand something. I need you to change me. I need that today. I, I can't just look back at my early Christian walk and say, well, that's, that's what it's like when you're young and zealous. No, that's what happened to the church of Ephesus. So we get to this place in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It says the, the word of the Lord grew and, and prevailed, uh, grew mightily and prevailed. Then in verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, what things were accomplished they were being led by the Holy Spirit. People were confessing sin. They were repenting. The word of God grew and prevailed. There was worship. And so this is a great place to be as a missionary or as a church planter. When that church is strong, when these things are happening within the church, when these things are established, as a missionary, this is what Paul does. He realizes this, this place is, is functioning as the body of Christ should function and there are leaders in place and there's discipleship taking place and Paul purposed in the, in the spirit because I believe that the Holy Spirit was leading him on like this place, you guys can stand on your own now and now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go, my heart, Paul it, it says is to go to back to Jerusalem and then to get to Rome. And he's not saying I wanna see Rome like a tourist. Like I say that as a tourist, like I would love to see Rome. It would be awesome to go to Rome and see the Colosseum, these things. But it's not in my heart to like, I got to get to Rome because that's the place where God's going to spread the gospel from Rome. And I'm going to, I'm going to go there and, and, you know, from Rome, we're going to reach the world. That was Paul's heart. So he purposed in the spirit. And as he purposes in the spirit, in many ways, Paul was working himself out of a job. And by the way, that's not just for a pastor or a missionary. I think that we should always be discipling and raising people up to be able to do the things that we do and, and not bottlenecking, not bottlenecking ministry. 
so that I'm the only one that talks to these people. These are my disciples. No one else talks. No, you know what I hope? I hope a lot of people talk to them and pour into them and that there might even be some people that are lifelong, you know, that relationship, but there's gonna be more people that in a sense, your role in that person's life for a season is over and, and now someone else takes on more of that prominence. So Paul, um, he's, he's turning uh, towards what the Lord wants to do because his heart is to multiply. Now it says that he purposed in the spirit. Does it mean that he just determined and had a vision to go to these cities? Or does it mean that he was led by the Holy Spirit? I think it's both. I actually think that this is both. Some commentators say, well, um, he purposed in the spirit. That means like he just had this vision or this burden or desire. But I actually think that it's being led by the spirit of God because it says the spirit, the definite article is there. And, and I believe that Paul is a man that's led by the Lord. We see that the, the spirit prevented him from preaching the word in Asia. The spirit prevented him from going to Bithynia. He's being led by the spirit. I believe that this is, a spirit-led desire. And by the way, when your, your heart, your desire, your burden is to serve God and say, God, use me and do something in my life. And you're also saying, I wanna be led by the spirit. God brings those things together and they're married with this, that, that when we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. So you wanna do something for God? You have a burden for something? Maybe it's, it's for children. Maybe your burden is to, to teach a class. Maybe your burden is just for your workplace. Maybe your burden is whatever those things are that God's put on your heart to do. Then what do you do after you purpose that in your heart? You pray through those things. Uh, You ask for that confirmation. You have this motivation. You have this desire. But eventually, what does it come down to? It comes down to taking a step of faith. Because it's one thing to have the burden and desire. It's another thing to say, God, I have this burden and desire and I'm gonna take a step, which is a scary thing to do because I don't know what it's gonna look like and I don't know how this is gonna turn out. And by the way, when it comes to guarantees, we have a guarantee that Jesus will be with us. We have a guarantee that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We have no guarantees that we won't be martyrs. I mean, there are certain instances where God tells Paul, you know, in this city, you're going to be okay. But, but realize that in, in Hebrews, there were a lot of saints that went before us that are martyrs, right? There's no guarantee that this venture of faith is going to take off the way that you think it's going to take off. There's no guarantee that your project that you're doing for the Lord won't run out of money. There's no guarantee that, that the people that you're doing that with are still going to be with you. There is no guarantee that when you take these steps of faith that it's going to look a certain way. But what Paul does is he doesn't sit back. He prepares because he's not ready quite to leave yet. He sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. In verse 22, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself himself stayed in Asia for a time. So I love this. He has a team. Uh, Timothy had already been there before, so he sends Timothy ahead. And, And I just... I love the fact that Paul is working with these other guys, Timothy and Erastus. Timothy and Erastus were younger men um, that, that Paul was discipling and he's sending them ahead. Now, as he stays, this is the part that to me is kind of the center of this part, portion of Acts chapter 19. Man, don't mess with people's idols. 
In verse 23, it says, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. And, and I really love that this is what they called Christians at the time. They didn't know what to call them. They didn't call them evangelicals or right-wing fundamentalists. They didn't call them, uh, they didn't even call them Christians. They called them the followers of the way. These are followers of the way. So here's these followers of the way. They're following the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Antioch, they first became called Christians. But, but notice that there arose a great commotion about the way. Are you causing a commotion? We sometimes think of that in a negative term. Don't cause a commotion. You know, I don't want to cause a commotion. I actually think it's a really good thing if you're causing a commotion. Because if we're causing a commotion, it means that we're having some kind of an impact. And wherever Paul was, maybe you've heard this before, that there was either a revival or a riot. Paul just caused commotion. Now, that's part of his personality. When you find out his personality before he was a follower of Christ also, but he, he would look at things as opportunities to minister. And it doesn't matter what the, the situation looked like, how chaotic it was. In verse 24, a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. Brought no small profit is another way of saying this, this guy brought him big bucks. You know, this guy was a builder, a craftsman, um, let me give you a little bit of background. The temple of Diana was a, a gigantic, great pagan temple. And, and the temple was also a business center. Um, it was also, Ephesus was a, a sin center. We call Las Vegas what? Sin City. Ephesus probably took the title back then. Um, it, there was, uh, the temple was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. It was the largest Greek temple that was ever built. So if you watch, uh, maybe if you remember, I think it was 1992 when the, the Olympics were in Greece or 96, you know, and they had all of the footage of what the ruins looked like. The largest temple was this temple to Diana or also um, named Artemis. Um, it was uh, a beautiful temple, but the image of Artemis was hideous. I want to show you this picture. It was a crude many-breasted sculpture of Diana. These are the things that this guy Demetrius made. This is an artifact. So this is what they made. Hey, now the many-breasted part is not only to signify life-giving, you know, because uh, she was like the goddess of the hunt, but in the worship of Diana, they would have temple prostitutes where the worship of Diana was very sensual and very sexual. And you can imagine that this religion was booming. This idolatry was booming. It was booming because um, not only was there money to be made in it, but there was also uh, a way of saying, oh, we're just worshiping. You know, it's just an act of, of worship. So verse 25, it says, he called them together with the workers of similar occupation. So Demetrius gets them all and he says, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Like this is our money. This is our livelihood. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, that this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying, they are not gods which are made with hands. So 
Demetrius is saying, man, wherever this guy goes, he shuts down our businesses. And now he's here in the capital, in the center, and we have got to do something about this guy. Now, when it comes to idolatry, realize some idols are good things that are elevated to become God things. They serve as functional saviors. So lest we should judge the people of Ephesus and say, we don't struggle with idolatry today. Let me tell you that the basis of worship or worship um, many times is pleasure. Where do I derive pleasure from? And wherever that is, that becomes an idol. That becomes uh, what I feed. That becomes what I give money and time and thought and attention to. You know what? In our country, materialism and consumerism is not something that is talked about in church a lot, but it is huge. Materialism and consumerism. And I think that sometimes we could be so afraid of offending people that we could go so far as not to say anything about it. And it's important to, to I, I love going on missions trips outside of our country. And one of the reasons why I love to do that is that it shows me that Christ is at work all around the world. One of the things that is hard for me is reentry. Reentry is very difficult. And it's difficult when you go to a place that is extremely poor and then you come back to the United States and, and I feel somewhat guilty. I'm mixed. I drive on freeways and I can't wait. One, I can't wait to get back on roads. You know, I could drive and it was a clear road. But then I turn on my air conditioner and I'm listening to uh, Spotify through Bluetooth speaker in the car and I just realize, wow, you know what? I have this bottle of water that I just carry with me in the car in case I get thirsty. Whereas these people don't have water that's clean around them sometimes. So we, we, we struggle with these things and, and we compare ourselves to other people in our like culture. And we say, I'm poor. And in reality, there's very few of us that are here that are poor. I mean, I know that there's poor people on the streets and things like that, but very few of us that are poor and compared to the rest of the world. Because if you have a flush toilet and you drove here, you're very wealthy. If you got some food out of your refrigerator, you got a lot of, a lot of wealth compared to a lot of parts of the world. And so we, gotta be, we have to guard our hearts from consumerism. And that also, that also comes into when it comes to the church, consumerism, materialism. Now, I'm blessed by this building that we have. We're leasing this. We're month to month, and it's just like, hey, we're, we're barely scraping by, and it might look like we're real comfortable, but you know what? If the Lord should move us, he'll move us. I don't ever want to come to the Lord and say, hey, God, you could do whatever you want, but these things are off the table. We don't talk about moving the church, and we don't talk about moving our family physically, and we don't talk about what I might have to give up. There's nothing off the table. You know, when the cloud moved in Egypt, they followed the cloud. And when the pillar of fire was there, they stayed there. And sometimes they stayed in brutal places. And they, they said, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back. And God says, no, you're staying right here. And other times they're saying, we gotta, we, we're in the best place. God, just please keep us here. And three days later, the cloud moves. And they have to take down the tabernacle and move. Now, I don't, I don't think that that's happening. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. We have to be people that are spirit-led, that when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, the spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where the wind's coming from and where the, where the wind's going. But as Christians, we know where we're going 
because we planned it. We planned it three years ago, and I'm on a five-year plan, and I'm in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, I already did a spreadsheet and a calendar, so I can't change it. You know, I'm on track, and this is what's happening. No, the Lord may have some other plans for us. So we, we, cannot, um, we cannot concede to the idol of comfort or convenience or power. I just want to be in control. Really, that's, that's the essence of worship. Adam and Eve, I, I want to be in control of my own life. What did the devil tempt them with? You can be your own God. You call the shots, not God. You know, why are you listening to God? Listen to yourself. Follow your heart. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard of that? Follow your heart. Man, our heart will lead us all kinds of bad ways sometimes. And so we got to follow the Lord. And I'll tell you another idol that we have today is pride. And pride being the monster idol um, can be seen in so many ways. Pride is not just uh, the, the Terrell Owens type that scores a touchdown and, and like flaunts it and, and everyone knows who he is and talking loud and boisterous. Pride is the quiet, introverted person that is judging everyone else in the room. And pride is the poor person that is judging every person that has money. And pride is the person that is outside of the church saying, look at all those hypocrites inside of the church. Pride is everywhere. And that idol of pride, you know, it just gets built up. Now, they were prospering from their idolatry. Um, and, And sometimes people can actually prosper by taking people's idolatry and like Demetrius, be a part of the idol makers union and uh, decide, hey, you know what? We could, we could capitalize on this. Um, pro sports, the NHL brings in three, National Hockey League, $3.3 billion a year revenue. NBA, $5 billion a year. Major League Baseball, $7.5 billion a year. NFL football, $9 billion a year. And you think we don't have idols today, but we do. Now, again, sometimes idols are good things that could be elevated to God things. I'm not saying I'm anti-football. I love, I love coaching. I love, I love the game. But I know that if I'm more jacked up and excited about the 49ers than I am about coming to church and worshiping the Lord, I got a problem in my heart. There is something wrong with me. And it doesn't matter what those things are. It could be, you know, exercise and working out. Great, that's good. You know, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But if if that is what just gets you going and prayer and worship is just like, (sighs) there's a problem in my heart. If it's, I I gotta build up my finances and my savings and my 401k plan and all of these things and, and be a good steward. But then when it comes to serving others, like, oh, I just don't have the gift of serving I don't, I don't have the gift of helps. The other people have that spiritual gift. I have some other gift. No, again, I'm at, and, and I, I, just gearing up for this, I'm looking at the idols in my own heart and then I'm kind of a little bit scared because when Paul starts messing with people's idols, they want to beat them up. So I hope you don't want to beat me up today. Um, $9 billion for the NFL. Let me tell you something that is tragic. The pornography industry, $13.3 billion. billion. It is not a victimless crime. It is not a thing of like, well, you know what? She's getting paid for what she's doing. No, they're they're victims. They're families that are victims. 
There are spouses that are victims. There are young women and young men that are victims. And I'll tell you, some of the greatest victims today are kids that have technology, that there are no restraints and parents don't know what's going on and don't track those things. And some of those kids are the greatest victims of pornography today. Average exposure be between eight and 11 years old now to first exposure because it's so prevalent. It's no longer, um, you know, you got to go down to the liquor store and buy a Playboy or you go into that seedy part of town and you go into the XXX theater. It's accessible. And I know because it's so prevalent in our culture and society that that is something that we struggle with. And I would, I would say that if, if the Lord were to look at our hearts and say, hey, are there idols, lust? And sensuality is one of the biggies because it it is so okay and culturally acceptable today to lust. In fact, it's, it's, it's a, you know, people flaunt that even, even people that go to church or, Hey, it's no big deal. And we got to be, we got to be really careful. What does the Lord desire of us? Verse 27, not only is this trait of ours in danger of falling into disrepute. So he gets all these idol makers together. But also, and notice, but also, and, and I, I kind of think that this is more of a, how he's using religious idolatry, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This is religion for profit. And there's no place that is more disgusting to me than religious idolatry, um, profiting. And we, we have to be um, gracious people, not self-righteous, but at the same time, be very careful ourselves not to fall into those things. Religious idolatry, let me tell you how that, this could look even in Christianity. Uh, we have our, our morality. And we could say, I'm so much more moral than these other people because I don't struggle with their sins. Well, any of you guys struggle with like anger? Any of you struggle with bitterness or unforgiveness? Any of us struggle with pride? I mean, sin is sin. We could have religious idolatry by judging other people's sin and saying, oh, look at those bad people. But you know what? Our hearts are desperately wicked. Um, there could be religious idolatry with, with well, I just, uh, I just want to make sure that I'm doing, um, I'm making sure that I have this social gospel where it's reaching people in need, feeding the poor, which is something God wants us to do. Um, Injustice, rescuing people from like trafficking, all those things, absolutely good. That's a God thing. But sometimes we could like pick those pet things and then live however we want to live on the moral part of it and being judgmental of the other people that aren't doing the things that we're doing to bring water to other people that need water. So these are all aspects of sometimes there could be religious idolatry. And we could have Christian rock stars. Um, and when that happens and we put our eyes on a person, man, you are headed for disillusionment and you are headed for pain because every human being will let you down and there are no perfect people. So we could, hopefully like Paul, we could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, but know that there are faults. You know, today is uh, my brother's birthday. And when I was a kid, he was, he, I looked up so, so much to him. He, um, man, he means so much to me. When my 
when I was six years old, my brother was 18, 18 years old. That's the year that my dad moved out. My sister was 17. My other sister was 13. My mom started working two jobs. You know what my brother did? He quit sports to earn money, to bring home, to give to mom, to help pay the bills. He signed me up for Little League. He took me to baseball practice. He uh, planned, he's 19 years old, planned a camping trip, said, Matt, go ahead and invite your friends, took us camping, and he had just become a Christian at age 18. And then the biggest thing that he instilled in my life is a love for God. Now, there was a point in time in his life where he was struggling, and at that time, my faith had already been strengthened. My, I was looking beyond my brother to the Lord, and my brother told me, he said, Matt, don't you know, I, I know that I'm, I, I'm struggling with some things right now. And I said, Rich, you don't got to worry about that because my eyes are not on you. My eyes are on the Lord and I'm praying for you. And, and during that time, he's still an example to me in his zealousness in repentance and coming back. But it is so important. Those people that you hold in high esteem as spiritual leaders, hold them in high esteem as spiritual leaders. You know, give honor to whom honor is due. But do not be stumbled by the fact that these people that are in the news in public ministry that fall, which this last year has been brutal for the Christian world, do not let that stumble you. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not on the news right now because he was doing something wrong. So keep our eyes on Jesus. Then in verse um, 28, it says, when they heard this, you know, Demetrius is getting them all stirred. They were full of wrath and they cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. They rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. So notice the wrath of messing with people's idols. A riot ensues. And verse 30, when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Now, I love, I love Paul because I think about riots. I lived in, you know, not too far away from Los Angeles. My wife was on an audit during the LA riots and they called her in the office. They said, get back to the office. Do not exit the freeway. Just come right back. That was a scary time for us. That was, that was a crazy thing. If you uh, were alive back then, or if you're in the LA riots and during during that time, I just think of riots happening and Paul saying, I got to get there. <laughs> That's a great place to preach the gospel. I, I just got to get in the center of all of this and just say, great is the Lord, you know, and, and they're saying, no, Paul, and they're holding him back because number one, they, they love him and they want to save his life, but also they want to preserve Paul's ministry. Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing, some another. The assembly was confused. Most of them did not know why they had come together. Now, does that not describe a mob today? Like, well, I don't know. Hey, the Giants won. Let's burn a car. You know, let's, let's do something stupid. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanting to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. They're, so they're, they're screaming and they're, they're shouting. They're going crazy. This could be, Alexander the coppersmith, which is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when at the end of Paul's life, he said this, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So, now as we close, 
Known for what? What are you known for? What, what should we as followers of Christ be known for? In verse 35, it says, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of uh, the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are, notice what he says, they are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. In other words, what were Paul and his followers known for? They were known for being followers of the way. They were known more for what they were for than for what they were against. They weren't trying to close down the temple to Diana. They didn't go there in the night and blow up the temple of Diana. They didn't, um, you know, cause a blockade. They simply followed the way and told people about the real God. And so many people repented and listened and were transformed that the temple of Diana started to suffer and their funds started to go down. In other words, when authentic, true worshipers of Jesus are willing to pay a price, think about any culture, the Christians of Moravia, the Christians right now in Syria, wherever Christians are willing to pay a price, Christians in China, Christians, wherever they are willing to pay the price and really follow the Lord, what happens? People begin to follow, not run away from. They're saying, what in the world can be so real that you would be willing to suffer and also pray for the people that are causing your suffering? What, what can be so real that you could suffer and then not retaliate against these people that are hurting you? So they were neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of their goddess. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a moral stand when we need to or speak up about not having like pornography in our libraries or sex ed in kindergarten. No, we should speak up for things like that. But what I am saying is that the world shouldn't see followers of Christ primarily as angry talk show hosts. They should know that we are followers of Christ because of our love for one another and probably our love for them, which even when we disagree in philosophy and disagree in morality and disagree about who God is, that we still love them. That, that blows them away. What in the world? Um, how are these people still loving? Verse 38, therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any further inquiry to make, it shall be determined in, in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So we see God's protection over Paul because God still has work to do in Paul's life. Now, God sometimes delivers us from the trial, from the court, from the financial difficulty, from the persecution. Sometimes the deliverance is through the trial and through the persecution and through the health problem or breakup or whatever that thing is. This morning, as we respond to God's word, 
what idols need to be crushed in your heart today? And we're gonna spend some time just worshiping the Lord, allowing um, not only the Holy Spirit to minister to us, but as we worship, that we would minister unto the Lord. And one of those things is, God, show me where is there an idol that is in my heart, an area that's not surrendered over to you, some pride, some, some pet sin. And, and if that's the case, where does confession need to be made and sin repented of? Sin thrives in darkness and secrecy because Jesus is light. And when we bring things to the light, you know what it effectively does is it takes away the enemy's blackmail card. I know that there are times when I, I have been in a, a time of worship and I've wanted to raise my hands and I hear this whisper in my ear, who are you to raise your hands because your hands are filthy with your sin? I wanna step forward in ministry to do this thing, to reach out to these people. Who are you to be used? Because look at who you are. Okay, step back. You know what, this morning, first of all, if exposure needs to come, it has to happen, first of all, primarily to the Lord. Because guess what? He knows anyway, right? So when we don't talk to him about it, it's dumb because he's just standing there saying, I already know, like I'm waiting to clean you up. I'm waiting to help you through this. And you're playing this game as though I don't know. First of all, just open up to the Lord and then find someone that you trust, someone that is, uh, that that loves you and someone that will pray for you and someone that is mature enough to hold on to that and, and just say, hey, you know what? This is what I'm struggling with. I want to encourage you to do something that is scary. I'm not going to have you do it right now. Don't freak out and like try to run out during worship. Um, but to be specific about what you need help with. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just, this is what I'm struggling with. You know, right now, I, I know that this thing that I'm holding on to in my life, um, I'm struggling with it. Could you pray for me? I, I was blessed yesterday morning. We had, um, there were two guys that were gathered here to pray. And by the way, men's prayer, 7 a.m. Men, if you just want to come and pray, there's going to be people here praying. Um, I got here late, but I, I came in and I prayed. And as I was praying with those guys, I just started, there were two guys that I know and that I trust. So I was just like praying my own confession to the Lord. And as I started just praying what I'm going through, it was cool because as soon as we were done praying, one of the other guys goes, man, thank you for doing that because this is what I'm going through. And like if my pastor can pray and like open himself up and pray in that way, then, then I could do that. So we need a few people in our lives that we do that with. Otherwise, we run the risk of being not authentic and not transparent, but outward appearance built. And that's, that's not that's not that spirit-led uh, follower of Christ. And then, what are you purposing in the spirit to do for God? Maybe some of those desires that God has put in your heart to do, to make an impact on this world for him, to love people, to use you, maybe some of those things have been on the back burner because you've been busy, because you're afraid, because you don't know how you're gonna do it. And you just say, Lord, if you're still calling me to do this, then help me to be bold enough to, like Paul, maybe I'm not gonna do it right away, but I'm gonna start preparing. I'm gonna send Timothy ahead, you know, to, to, try, to try to prepare, or I'm gonna take some steps of faith. I'm gonna start saving up to be able to go on that mission trip. I'm gonna start going to school to be able to get this piece of paper that will allow me to do these things that I wanna do for the Lord. And whatever those things are. So 
as we worship, what does God want from us? That was the question. He wants, he wants our heart. He wants our worship. And he wants that worship to be truthful and honest and sincere. And that's, that's where when Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, returning to your first love, it's just that sincere seeking after God, not, not just for the th- gifts that he gives, but because of relationship and who he is. So let's spend this time drawing near to the Lord and, uh, and worship him. We, we worship him in singing. We worship how we live. We worship in tithes and offerings. We, we worship in giving. We worship in serving. We want to respond in worship this morning. Father, first of all, we uh, want to take this time and ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts. Lord, that you would examine our hearts, our thoughts, our intents. Because, Father, I know that sometimes I could even do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Lord, I also pray that if there are other idols that are not good things that are elevated to God things, but to just bad things. Lord, whether it would be uh, the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Lord, things that are directly off limits, help us not to take on the ethic of a world that says we all have our vices. It's okay to have a few. God, we want to lay these things down. And Lord, should you bring these things to our attention, We ask that you would give us friends that we could share with, boldness and courage to be transparent when transparency is necessary. Because, Father, we desire that you would do a great work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we, as people that have regenerated hearts, want to continue to be in that place where there's not a barrier between us and you. Lord, if there are things that need to be forgiven, um, people that have hurt us and we hold on to those things, Lord, help us to, to let go. So Jesus, be with us. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for the, the way that you so gently, by your spirit, point these things out and then draw us back by your goodness and kindness, your love and your mercy as we sing to you. Draw out the worship from us that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.